Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 49. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, and science with an emphasis on Hegel, with the aim of promoting the out-of-fashion idea that our mind is the greatest gift bestowed on us, and that it is free to find purpose in guiding our actions. Please like and follow the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist, and follow me as well on Twitter, also at Cunning of Geist. In this episode, I will be discussing the great psychologist Carl Jung's theory of the shadow and how it relates to Hegel's philosophy. Specifically, Jung saw an ongoing struggle between the conscious mind and the unconscious shadow. And this is actually a process he called individuation, which leads to greater psychological integration of an individual, and which results in, obviously, greater overall consciousness and freedom for the individual. And in many ways, this is similar to Hegel's dialectical approach, which includes negation and resolution on a higher level with the advancement of spirit within the world of nature. So, to begin... Let me remind everyone that we focused on Carl Jung pretty extensively in episode 34 back in 2021, last year. In that episode, I covered Jung's background, his relationship with Freud, and in particular, his notion of the collective unconscious. Spent a lot of time on that. I also discussed the quaternity of personality types that he developed, the rational, the emotional, the physical, and the intuitive. Now, in this episode, I want to focus on an important aspect of Jung's psychological approach, and that is his concept of the shadow. When people hear the word shadow, many think of something evil or the dark side of one's personality, sort of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. And there was a famous radio show that ran in the United States in the 1930s and 40s called The Shadow. And its opening introduction became famous. It went something like this. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Ha ha. Anyway, a key aspect of the Jungian shadow is that it does not have to be only the negative side of one's personality. It can be a positive as well. Sometimes we do suppress our own better angels. So this this is what we're going to be talking about, Jung's shadow concept. And generally speaking, The shadow is a part of our mind that we are not conscious of. It is the part that we are unaware of. Now, you may ask, how can this be? And this brings up several legitimate questions. And perhaps the biggest one is this. If there is indeed an unconscious mind that's part of us, what part of the mind decides whether something is conscious or goes to the unconscious? Is there a third mind who decides whether something stays above ground or not? And and so on. Let's address this. The conscious mind and the unconscious mind are not two separate minds. That's the first thing to understand, and that's important. They're just two ends of the same stick. It's sort of a yin and yang type of thing. And also, there's no solid boundary. It's a very fluid and continuous boundary between what's conscious and what's unconscious. Now, some may also ask, well, what evidence is there that this unconscious mind even exists? Well, there's a lot of evidence. Perhaps the the biggest thing that we experience is our own dreaming every night. Freud called dreams the royal road to the unconscious. 
And many believe that Sigmund Freud's interpretation of dreams was, was one of the most important books ever published in, in the 20th century. It was published in 1900, and it was a game changer as far as psychology was concerned because it opened up the whole issue of dreams that everybody experiences. And, and his, his hypothesis was that uh, you could learn a lot from studying one's dreams, uh, particularly unconscious motivations, etc., he himself considered it perhaps his biggest breakthrough, that in analyzing dreams, one could go beyond just remembering the content of the dream and seek to find meaning and motivation behind the content. This allowed a peek into the unconscious and how it was subconsciously motivating us. And these um, dreams, as you all know, can be very intricate and involved. Sometimes it's like watching a very long movie with a cast of characters and all sorts of stuff happening. And all this is created by the unconscious mind. Now, the point, though, is that these dreams clearly establish that there's some part of our mind that's not under our direct conscious control. And this, therefore, proves the existence of the unconscious mind. And there are other examples. Do you ever suddenly remember that you left your cell phone on your desk when you're walking out the door? Uh, that was your unconscious mind reminding you. And on the, on the other hand, forgetting things can also be a way of your unconscious mind giving you a hint about something. And you've all heard of uh, Freudian slips. This is when the, the unconscious mind breaks through to the conscious mind in, in terms of saying something or something happening. Memories are indeed interesting things. And where are memories stored? Well, in the unconscious mind. And sometimes we can call up certain memories at will, and other times they come to us from out of the blue. Other times we can't recall a memory. The point is that there's clear evidence that there are things going on outside our conscious mind. And as I said, it's important to understand, though, that the mind is one whole. It, 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 there's a conscious part and an unconscious part. You know, we've talked a lot There's about the left brain conscious part and the right brain conscious part, but in this episode, we're focusing on the unconscious part versus the conscious part of the one mind. Now, there's one element that can help us determine what is conscious and, and unconscious, and that's our, our core personality type. We discussed Jung's four personality types back in episode 34. And a good way to look at this, for this example of how the, the shadow is created, is to, is to look at these four personality types as portrayed on a cross or on a plus sign symbol. So I'm going to ask you to visualize this. Imagine a cross or a plus sign. There's one horizontal line, and it's divided by one vertical line. Now let's put intuition at the top of the vertical line and physical sensing at the bottom. So that's one dimension. And these two functions are opposite ways of perceiving things. We can perceive the outside world through senses, our five senses, or we can perceive the inside world through our intuitions. One is outer, one is inner. And we can favor one of these methods of perceiving. Some people are more intuitively inclined, others are more sensually inclined. Now, to complete the plus sign, let's put thinking, rationality on the right side of the horizontal line, and let's put our emotions our feelings on the left side. And so we have now rounded out the quaternity. Thinking on the right side is one way of making judgments. Emotions are another. And they are opposite ways of making judgments. People tend to prefer one of these methods over the other. Some are more emotional in their outlook. Other people are more rational. 
Here comes the important part. Out of the four, a person tends to have one go-to approach. They tend to favor one of the four as their key, most important way of uh, dealing with the world. A thinker is more of a judger of things than a perceiver. Uh, And a thinker is more rational than emotional. An emotional type of feeler is also more of a judger than a perceiver, but they are, they judge based on emotions rather than on, on rational thinking. An intuitive person, on the other hand, is more of a perceiver than a judger. And their go-to method of perception is intuition. A sensor, on the other hand, the opposite of the intuitive person is also a perceiver rather than a judger, but their go-to method of perception are the five senses rather than any internal intuition. So here's how the shadow comes into play. Let's say that my primary personality type is rationality, and probably many philosophical types would be the same as well. Now, if I stand in the center of the plus sign and face my leading type, I would be facing rationality. That's my go-to position. However, this means that my back is turned toward the emotional side of me using that that plus sign symbol. So to the right of me, on my right hand, are the physical senses, and to the left, my intuition. And by focusing more on rationality, means that I focus less on the emotions. And we know this to be true in life. Our most emotional friends and family members tend to worry less about logical analysis. And many of our rational friends are often guilty of burying their emotions. And it it doesn't matter, in this example, I was facing rationality, but you could face any one of the four types, and you would have a different array. You'd have one thing you're focusing on, one thing's in your shadow, and you'd have something in your right hand and something in your left hand. Now, of course, all these four elements are always present in an individual to to varying degrees. However, the key point here is when I'm facing rationality, it's fair to say that my emotions tend to be in the shadow behind me. Now, that's one example of how the shadow works. If we emphasize one thing, we de-emphasize another. But Jung's notion of the shadow can incorporate much more than just these four functions. Another area regarding the shadow that's very important to understand is our instincts. That the shadow contains many of our more primitive instincts and desires. Freud incorporated this in his notion of the id, The id is bottom level of his tripartite system of psychology. He has the id, the ego, and the superego. The ego often pushes our more primitive instincts into the background, underground, if you will. And it tries to focus more on aspirational elements of the the superego. But we are still human animals, and we have to deal with these primitive instincts. One of the biggest primitive instincts we have is our libido, our sex drive. And much of society is based on how we deal with this one instinct in terms of laws and customs. And certainly part of the civilizing nature of human beings over the centuries, over the millennia, is learning to control these baser sexual urges and and live with others accordingly. And the base instincts are usually about pure pleasure, usually more immediate pleasure with little or no planning horizon. And of course, one learns to cope with these urges, and and how one learns to cope is critical in the formation of one's own distinct personality. And often when one's impulses are not dealt with correctly or in a healthy manner, this can lead to neuroses and sickness. 
But moving on, there's another important element, and that's the collective unconscious that we inherit. And we talked a lot about this in episode 34. And if you recall, the collective unconscious, that is all the memories and impulses that we share with others. Uh, there can be ethnic memories, cultural memories, and but if we go deeper, there are memories that include all of humanity. And Jung demonstrated this very clearly. And they can certainly influence us through our dreams, through our symbols, and our unexplained desires. So to summarize the unconscious mind, we have parts of our personality that exist in the unconscious mind. And a lot of these are our more basic, baser instincts. And But we also have elements of the collective unconscious that exists there that we share with others. So that lays out the background of the unconscious mind and the shadow. Now I'm going to deal more specifically with two immediate and important questions. First, what does this conscious-unconscious split have to do with leading our own lives? And secondly, I'm going to discuss how all this relates to Hegel's philosophy. First, what is important about all this is that it speaks to a therapeutic approach to psychological problems and psychological growth. Jung felt that it was very important for an individual to integrate elements of the unconscious into their own conscious lives as best they could. And he knew this would be a massive struggle. He put it clearly, the, the shadow represents everything about a person that they're keeping from themselves. And the individuation process is an attempt to bring these things to the surface. This is what Jungian therapy, sometimes called analytic psychology, is all about. Now, it's interesting. There's a common belief among many therapists that once you've had three or four sessions with someone, you know what the problem is that they're avoiding, what they're not coming to terms with. However, it does no good just to tell them what the problem is. The person has to come to that realization themselves. And this often comes in the form of an aha moment. And sometimes this can take years of therapy to, to recognize this. And for, for others, that moment never comes. They never come to understand the chief problem that they have. George Gurdjieff, who we discussed in episode 34 and other episodes, he called this one's chief weakness. And oftentimes we're totally unaware of what it is. Let me quote Gurdjieff on this. Quote, a man cannot find his own chief feature, his chief fault by himself. This is practically a law, end quote. And this chief feature of weakness is like a hub of a wheel. All the other points of one's personality come from it. And discovering this feature, bringing it to light, is the work of a lifetime. To quote Gurdjieff again, quote, The study of chief fault and the struggle against it constitute, as it were, each man's individual path, end quote. And his whole uh, approach to the harmonious development of man, as he called it, was, was providing shocks and, and efforts uh, to, to wake people up to their chief feature, to their chief fault. Jungian psychologist Marie-Louise von Franz stated it thus, quote, If and when an individual makes an attempt to see his shadow, he becomes aware of and often ashamed of those qualities and impulses he denies in himself, but can plainly see in others, such things as egotism, mental laziness and sloppiness, unreal fantasies, schemes and plots, carelessness and cowardice, inordinate love of money and possessions, end quote. So 
Confronting the shadow can be a very painful process, but by recognizing these parts of ourselves, by bringing them to light, it it allows us to grow as individuals. And by growing, we become more conscious, we become more free, we become more of a true individual. And this sounds very much like Hegelian sublation, and it is. The Hegelian sublation is a perfect analogy to Jung's individuation process. I'll get to more of this in a moment. There's one more aspect of individuation in the shadow we need to discuss, and that's projection. I believe projection is a huge psychological problem for many people, as well as groups of people. The way it works is simply as follows. What we refuse to see in ourselves, what we deny about ourselves, we get rid of by putting it onto others. It's as simple as that. French philosopher Jack Faraday describes how this works, quote, We retreat among the things and people we know. We cling to our certainties, to the values which define us, and which, by contrast, define that outsider who is held responsible for all the ills in the world, end quote. Jung described this process as follows, quote, The part of the psyche which is less light and less capable of consciousness is thrown into darkness to such an extent that sooner or later a rift occurs in the psychic system. At first, this is not recognized as such and is therefore projected, end quote. Jungian analyst Ellie G. Humbert describes the shadow as follows, quote, Those people in whom we find all the idiocy, cruelty, and cowardliness which it would be tragic to see in ourselves, end quote. So projection is usually always at work, and it is due to pro- projecting our own shadow onto others. And another ego ploy is to cast guilt on, our, on others so one can remain an innocent victim. It is so funny to see how this works in politics, where one party accuses the other of dirty tricks and of doing more evil than they would ever do. And the other party does exactly the same thing. That is why forgiveness can be so helpful and therapeutic. By forgiving another, we are in fact forgiving ourselves. Now, on to Hegel. One of Hegel's most famous passages is the Lordship Bondage section of the Phenomenology of Spirit, also known as the Master-Slave Dialectic. We did an entire episode of this in episode 13. Essentially, when two self-consciousnesses meet, one must submit to the other. The Lord becomes Lord by recognition as such by the bondsman. This is pure othering. The Lord only knows that he is a Lord by having the bondsman recognize this. He projects his own inferiority onto the other. And likewise, the bondsman projects his own mastery onto the Lord. However, this is essentially an unworkable situation for the long term, as Hegel demonstrates. It must be resolved in terms of mutual respect. Now, I believe othering groups of people has reached epidemic proportions today. The last episode, number 48, dealt with this exclusively. So how does this all relate to Hegel's system? Well, I believe Hegel's system would view the entire world of nature as the unconscious. And of course, mind and rationality would correspond to the conscious part. And spirit is the evolution of this rationality within nature. So here we have a clear and direct correspondence to Jung's individuation process of bringing the unconscious elements to light. And a key point here is that Hegel also believes in history and the process of history. His philosophy is not just airy-fairy thinking about thinking. It is actively taking place in the real world through real actions of conscious players to bring greater rationality and freedom to humanity. 
And some aren't even aware that they're doing it. That's, that's the cunning of Geist at work. So, to summarize, we have shown that there is indeed a strong unconscious element to our minds and as such to our lives. Jung called it the shadow. It can be different for different people, but what is the same is that it is the part that we do not want to acknowledge. And bringing these uncomfortable parts of us to light can bring about a greater self-consciousness and awareness and at the same time reduce the need to project negative aspects onto others. Jung saw this as a process, much like Hegel's process of spirit manifesting itself in the world. Through the greater incorporation of the natural world, of nature, into our own rational expression, this is a process that's occurring. This is spirit coming to know itself through nature, through bringing greater rationale to nature. And of course, this is a long, hard slog. It's an historical process, but it's what needs to be done day by day by individuals, groups, and nations. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Please like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to share these episodes with your like-minded friends in social media and elsewhere. As always, all references cited here will be posted at the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. And I certainly look forward to your comments, suggestions, and questions, which you can post there as well. If you're not already a member of the Hegel Study Group on Facebook, where I'm one of the administrators, please consider joining. We've grown this group from a few hundred to over 25,000 over the last eight years, and many feel it's the best philosophy group on Facebook or anywhere. And finally, just to close, a disc jockey on a local radio show that I listened to growing up would always close his show with the following line, be big, be a builder. This is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.